This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks for tuning in. Romans chapter 16 and verse 25, Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made, to, made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. We've spent several weeks in the book of Romans, and today we are wrapping this series up and looking at the final chapter of Romans and, and some of Paul's points as he's signing off and saying goodbye. You know, we find Paul's exhortation to his brethren, whom he loved very much, and that comes really through all of his letters, whether he states it directly or not. But there are some 35 names in this chapter in the book of Romans uh, chapter 16. There's about 35 names, and most of which are original to this letter. They're not they're names that aren't mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. So, um, what can we learn? You know, as Paul is is saying goodbye here, and if you look in verse one, he says, "I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sincrea." Right, so that alone just blasts any notion that the Bible is sexist or construed negatively against women, or that women don't have a significant role within the church or something like this that they're oppressed. It's just all nonsense, right? Paul and and the all the apostles followed Jesus's example and held women in high esteem and knew that they had a significant role and still do have a significant role to play. And so Paul instructs these brethren to receive her. Notice in verse 2, in a manner worthy of the saints. Right? So she's not a second-class citizen of the kingdom. And nobody is, for that matter, whether you're man, woman, you know, varying ages, whatever the case may be. Because all Christians are one in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 3.28, Jesus died for all men. He redeemed the church with his blood. He paid the same price for everyone. And so that speaks to the value of each individual. Right, so whether we're talking about Phoebe of Sincrea, or you, you know all your brothers and sisters in the local church where you are, they are no less valued, and to be no less valued, and than any other member of the Lord's church, but appreciated and fully accepted. Her work, um, Phoebe's work, was was valuable to the kingdom, and Paul knew this. Paul knew this personally. Uh, he goes on to say in verse two that she herself has also been a helper of many. And of myself as well. And so he would have this sister helped in any way that she needed as she continued to labor in the kingdom. Verse 2, you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. And again, many decry the teachings of Scripture as being chauvinistic or sexist in some way or just severely biased against women and their role within society, within the church. But... It just it just isn't there. Any honest, objective reader, observer who's going to go to the scriptures, the New Testament, and read it, it's just they're going to see that anybody who maintains that position that I just described is just deluded. They're just poor, deluded people who just have never actually taken the time to read scripture. If they did, they wouldn't get very far before finding examples like Phoebe mentioned here, who is a respected, godly woman whose service made her an outstanding example, and she was appreciated and respected and, and valued for that reason. 
And so within the same context, Paul greets another sister. It dropped down to verse six. He says about Mary, she says that she has worked hard for you. And again, none of this sounds very sexist to me at all. And second, every believer should make himself or herself useful in the kingdom. That's another example or another lesson that comes through, I think, in these uh, greetings and as Paul is commending uh, these men and women for their service. Because he goes on to name a host of people living in the first century, in first century Rome, men and women both, Jews and Greeks. And some, again, will recognize from other passages of Scripture, many of them are just exclusively found here. Um, and there's a lot of speculation floated out in various commentaries regarding these brethren. But but regardless of that, Paul's commentary on these individuals just speaks to the powerful examples that they were and the lessons that we can learn from them and from what he says about them without without any conjecture. Uh, in verse 3, he mentions Priscilla and Aquila, uh, who he encountered in Acts chapter 18, and we can read their story there as they take Apollos aside and teach him the way of truth more accurately. This, They were a husband and wife and who worked with Paul in Corinth. And uh, they had they were originally from Rome, but at that time in Acts chapter 18, they had been expelled for some time. Uh, I forget the emperor's name who, who handed down that law, but all Jews had to leave Rome. And so Priscilla and Aquila, being Jews, find themselves in Corinth when Paul is there, and they're working together and, and teaching together and and uh, now as Paul is concluding this letter, evidently at this time they have returned to Rome and he is he is greeting them in verse 3. And he calls them my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say that they risked their own lives for my sake. And he gives thanks for this. And that speaks to the tremendous love that Priscilla and Aquila have for the truth, for Christ, and for his people you know, Jesus said that greater love has no one than this. No man has greater love than this, but that he laid down his life for his friends in John fifteen thirteen, And that's exactly what Paul is saying about Priscilla and Aquila and their amazing example. And again, in 1 John three sixteen, John writes, We know love by this, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And Priscilla and Aquila were willing to lay down their own lives for their brother. And they are worthy of imitation for their example. And in verse 5, Paul greets the church. He says that meets in their house. And so this is more than likely refers to the saints that make up their uh, their household, as is the case uh, in this context with Aristobulus and uh, Narcissus in verses 10 and 11. But if Paul is referring to a local church which assembles in Priscilla and Aquila's actual physical house, you know, then all other New Testament regulations would apply about that local church being a plurality having a plurality of elders and deacons and being autonomous, self-governed, all that still applies. But um I, I mention that to say this because Paul mentions various households and 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 the church that is in their house um because this this text, as he's mentioning, you know, these various families, this text has been appealed to by some to say, well, here's the authority to divide a local church into multiple bodies or, quote, house churches. I don't think we see that example in the New Testament here or anywhere. Rome Rome was a large population center, 
in the first century. And it probably had about a million people uh, by some estimates based on food supplies and archaeological evidence. So it's not unreasonable to conclude that there were multiple local churches. Uh, and this letter is to all the brethren, all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, as Paul says in Romans 1.7. So um, it was intended for all local churches in that city. You know, Paul would Paul would do that in some of his letters, like with um, Galatians, right? The, the church, the letter to Galatians was written to an entire region and the local churches that were that were in that region. And of course, by extension, all letters of the New Testament are, are for uh, Christians and are to be to be read. And that's what Paul intended even in the first century. He wanted those letters to be circulated among uh, among his brethren, even though, uh, you know, the letter to the Colossians was not originally written to the Laodiceans. But nevertheless, Paul wanted them to move that letter on. So all that to say, you know, Paul is not saying that the church can be uh, divided here in this context, as some would argue, uh, based on the number of churches, he says, that meet, meet in different people's houses or households. In verse 7, moving on from that point, Paul names two more brethren who were fellow prisoners, he says. And we simply don't know where or when, um, and it, not not that it matters, but it's the again, it's the example that does matter, that they were willing to suffer with him in this in this way. Paul tells Timothy, he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And Second Timothy one eight. So the question comes through this through this text and again the people that he's mentioning, the question comes to us, are are we willing now to suffer in chains as fellow prisoners with our brethren for the faith? You know, should it should it come to that? And do we sympathize with those who are suffering to that degree? I'm not personally aware of any that are that are persecuted in this specific way for their uh, for their faith. Um, there probably are some in the world, but in in my immediate context and, and where I am, uh, I'm I'm not aware of any. But are we willing to? You know, our, our faith and our work will bring us is is going to bring us and does bring us into conflict with the rest of the world and perhaps make us enemies even of local governments, uh, make us enemies of the state. So are we willing to press on regardless? Paul says of his brethren in Rome, that's exactly what they were willing to do. Paul says one brother, of one brother, he says, is our fellow worker in Christ. Uh, and again, he calls others workers in the Lord. And he calls other another who, uh, in verse 8 and verse 12, who has worked hard in the Lord. So you see this common thread. Uh, these people were diligent and focused and tremendous examples because they were actually laboring in the kingdom. And they were not going to let any circumstance stand in their way regardless of what the civil government was going to do, regardless of what anybody else was going to do to persecute them, um, they were going to work hard in the Lord, verse 8. And so we can see that trend. Every, every believer should make himself or herself useful in the kingdom. You know, there's a song, there's a popular hymn. Well, I say popular, I don't know if it's popular, but it's an old hymn that says, I want to be a worker for the Lord. And, you know, that's that's the refrain throughout the, the song. I want to be a worker for the Lord. I want to love and trust His holy word. 
I want to labor and pray, sing and pray. Um, so we sing that song often, but how often do we really mean it? You know, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to name these people for a reason. So all, all scriptures inspired, including Romans chapter 16, and, and what Paul is saying about these people and to these people specifically as he's naming these individuals, he named them for a reason. And Paul appreciated them for their labor, calling them his beloved in, in verses 9 and 10. And, and then he says of those who are approved in Christ. And, and that is just such, that should fill us with such hope because it's so consistent with the, the rest of Scripture. If we want to be beloved in Christ, if we want to be approved in Christ, then we know what we have to do, what God has called us to do. And someone might immediately object and say, no, 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 you can't do, you can't do anything to be to be approved. And, and if, that's a, if it's a matter of, um, you know, qualification and saying, well, you know, I, I, there's no way I can be worthy of Christ or be qualified to, to, to have fellowship with him in and of myself. The, the answer to that question is absolutely true. And the, and the scriptures state as much, right? That's why Paul says in Colossians 1.12 that it is God who has qualified us to receive the inheritance that we have as, as saints, right? But nevertheless, that great that that great blessing and the spiritual blessings that come in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God that we receive because of what he did as the means of our forgiveness that that comes with obligations it comes with responsibilities and if we don't follow through with those responsibilities and the obligations that the, that those spiritual blessings place upon us then the scripture says we're not really forgiven we don't appreciate and understand the grace of God in Colossians 1 6. And again in Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. The grace of God is to instruct us to live righteously, soberly, godly in this present age, to be a people zealous for good works. And if that is not who we are, then Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and verses 10 and 11 that we have forgotten. We have forgotten the forgiveness of our sins. In other words, we're just taking the grace of God for granted. We don't really, we aren't really moved by it anymore. And I say what Paul is saying here is beautifully consistent with the rest of Scripture is about being approved in Christ because listen to what the Hebrew writer says in chapter 6 and verse 10. He says, God is not unjust and he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. Does it matter to God if we work? Does it matter to God that we show the love that we have for him? By how? Verse 10, helping his people and continuing to help them. Of course it does. To ask the question is to answer it. The scripture says it right there in black and white. And so don't, don't be fooled by noble-sounding, faith-only arguments pushed by the masses that we are saved that we are saved by faith is indisputable faith saves Romans 5 1 and 2 that is a biblical doctrine case closed hands down but the faith of the Bible is not a hands free faith 
That's the kind of faith that swindlers preach. And regardless of their error, do and work and labor and show your love. Those are not bad phrases or bad words to God. It's just the opposite. We must be doing, we must be working, or else our faith is dead. Our faith is useless. Our faith is incomplete. Just look at James 2, 20, 22, and 26. Faith without works is just as dead in Romans as it is in James. You know, Speaking of false teaching, Paul goes on to say in this very same chapter, he says, I urge you, brethren, that you keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and you turn away from them. In verse 17, the Old King James translation uses the word uh, mark them or keep your eye on them as opposed to take notice of them or something similar that your translation might say. Uh, but the idea is all the same. You're to, to watch out for uh, these dissenters, and specifically Paul is talking about those who dissent against the truth, not to uh, dissent against a party or something like this, but they show that their loyalty lies elsewhere. When they dissent against the truth in any form to any degree, they pose a danger, a great danger, he says, to the unsuspecting or naive. Right, so we don't want to be in either of those categories. We don't want to be the dissenter and we don't want to be the unsuspecting or naive person who is duped by the dissenter. We want to, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, examine everything carefully. It's easy for us to be deceived by smooth and flattering speech. That's what he's that's the mode he describes in verse 18. That's the, the method that they use to deceive when they're trying to lure away a, a groundswell after them, a party after them. Right, but we if we if we are duped, what that what that means is is that we are we care more for the form of a message rather than its content. Right? Many people are drawn to individuals because they look good and they sound good and reasonable and logical and they're very eloquent and uh, they throw in a sprinkling of, of flattery and they make you feel good about yourself, right? But all of that is, is the form of a message, not so much its content. Now, to be sure, how we speak the truth is important in terms of attitude and, again, in terms of methods. Just look at Ephesians 4.15. In 2 Timothy 2.15, and handling the word of God accurately. But we can never use eloquence to subvert truth and drive our own agenda. And that's exactly what the people do that Paul is describing here. And it happens all over the world today in, in all kinds of contexts, not just religious contexts or church contexts, uh, but in many ways. And then in verse 19, he says, For the report of your obedience has reached us all. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. I think a lesson we can take from that verse is that a report goes out about every local church. A report goes out about every local church. Every local church has a reputation, better or worse, good or bad. Just read Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and those seven local churches of Asia. What is said about them? Well, Jesus had many good things to say to them, and he had many bad things to say to them. To some churches, 
two churches in particular, he had nothing but good things to say, and then to one church in particular, he had nothing good to say. A report goes out about every local church. And so where you are, wherever it may be in the world, what would be said about you? Not by other people, necessarily, but what is God's perspective of the work you're engaged in? That's what's brought to the forefront in Revelation 2 and 3, right? It was, it was Christ who was addressing those churches. It was Christ who was indicting them for the things they were doing wrong and commending them for the things they were doing right. And so it's his standard that matters. We, we focus again on the, the message, the truth, which is paramount, his, his standard. We examine ourselves according to it, and the results will follow. Are we striving to obey? Do we pray for wisdom and discernment that we may know the enemy when we see him? so that we can be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil? Are we focused on growing up in Christ? If we know his word, then we will not have to weary ourselves getting familiar with all the uh, minutiae of every false doctrine that's out there in the world. The truth will be sufficient to expose false teaching for what it is. And so may we all be loyal to truth and to him who is truth incarnate. And then lastly, let us be thankful that God is able to establish establish us according to the gospel and preaching of Jesus Christ. In verse 25, again, that speaks to the sufficiency of the word and his power that is manifested in it as Paul began this letter in Romans 1.16, describing the gospel as the power of God to bring salvation to all people who believe. He revealed it in his own time and he made it known to us And he revealed to us the way to be reconciled to him. Which Paul again mentions at the end of this letter in verse 26, the obedience of faith. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. The obedience of faith to his son. That is how all people, anybody will ever be reconciled to God. Without him there is no hope. But through Christ we can be released from the chains of sin and find righteousness. Appreciate you tuning in today. I've enjoyed this study. Again, I'm not sure where we're headed next, but I hope that you tune in next week and uh, join me in more Bible study. I want to invite you to ask your questions. Uh, the way you can contact me is by leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. I monitor that email address. Also visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org. There's a contact form that you can fill out there if um, you just want to sit down and, and type something out that'll and hit send, and that'll automatically send it to to that address if you can't remember it. So, and uh, there's other resources on the website too. So, uh, feel free to make use of those. I look forward to studying with you again. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings. <laughs>